Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I hope you guys are excited. I'm excited today. Uh, One piece of business before you all jump in and start talking about the book is we are recording this call for future, uh, for people that couldn't make it on the call today. We had a, a bunch of requests to record it. So those of you that don't want to speak to a recording and give your comments, I want everyone to know that. I think it's. I think I have to tell you by law we're recording the call. So welcome to the 2018 Rockstar Book Club. Hopefully you guys can hear me clearly. I'm excited. We did this back during the recession when we all had a lot of time on our hands, and um, we haven't done it. And then a couple others followed. After me, Cammie Goldberg did it for a year, and Katie Welch did it for a year, and then I think we got all got busy and started doing deals again, and the book club went um, by the wayside. The reason I wanted to start it again was I get a lot of questions, whether it's on LinkedIn or Facebook or when I'm traveling, about what books are you reading, and, you know, and we start discussing the books, and I thought, you know, let's... Let's go ahead and try it again. Uh, I I love reading and I love discussing books. And I know a bunch, some of you have called me already and started talking to me about some of the things that we've learned in this book. The reason I picked uh, Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It by Chris Voss, was a friend of mine who I hope is on the call, Daniel Duque, a Florida State student, actually sent it to me. He um he said uh, he read this book and he found a lot of value in it and he sent it to me as a gift and I picked it up and to be 100% uh, sincere, since some of you have taken my workshops, you know I have a slide on never meet in the middle, which I hate and we show a pretty woman video and, you know, it's, it's uh, it, I hate when people meet in the middle. I, I, I think it's a lazy, a lazy way to negotiate. So when I picked up and saw this title of this book, I thought, well, I'm pretty good at negotiating, and, you know, I, I believe in this in this scenario to not split the difference. And But I picked it up anyway because Daniel sent it to me, and I appreciated that. And literally on the third page, I got value on the third page. And I posted something on, I think it was on Facebook, saying, hmm, it's kind of like don't don't say no for the prospect, right? But don't uh, don't negate the content of a book before you actually try it out. The... Um, the paragraph on page three that I found was very interesting was um, they, they said they were talking about calibrated questions, and basically they said if the more you listen, the more your counterpart feels that they are gaining the illusion of control and that they're the ones with all the answers and the power. And I just uh, – I always knew that it was important to be a good listener, but I don't think I realized – how, you know how that translated into a negotiation and how much power you were gaining by being a good listener. Good listener. So I think so, um, so that was on what? page three, and I was hooked after that. Uh, what did she say? And there's someone talking back there, so you guys mute, mute mute your lines if you don't want us to hear you oh, talking okay. over there. So, um, so I thought that was that was an interesting, uh, you know, start to a good book, and uh, I have yeah. loved the book, and yeah. I hope you guys did. So, before we jump into some other comments, I wanted to, to 
throw you all the way to the end of the book on page 160, and I thought it was a very interesting question, and the question was, who has control in a conversation, the guy listening or the guy talking? And, of course, I think we all know it's the listener, and then he goes on to tell us why that is. But I, I would say that if you get every, anything out of this book or this call today, all of us leasing agents and new business generators should be focused on how much of the time we're talking in negotiations or in showing space or in pitching business, how much are we talking versus how much we're listening. So I will uh, shut up for a second and listen, and, and does anyone else I'd love to hear from some of the listeners who have already told me they were going to speak up on this call today uh, to give us some feedback of some of the things and the, the, the topics and the, um, the tidbits that they've learned in the book that was meaningful to you. Who would like to jump in? Hello. Mike, are yes, you on the call? Is... Barry, is that Barry? Hey, Beth, sorry. Yeah, I'll be this very <laughs> Good morning, and I appreciate you doing this, Beth. It's awesome. Uh, I get I it. I do have a confession, though. I've only read part of the book so far, but I'll break the ice as far as the comments. Um, and in fact, I, I kind of started reading it some even here this morning, and honestly, I was it was a really, I mean, fantastic, the parts I've read so far. And probably my biggest takeaway so far was just that, the story he told of just listening and how nervous that you know, basically well, he, he got – exactly what he wanted by listening and had all these Harvard grads that had the skills and they thought they knew exactly what to do and he just whitewashed them by basically listening and they didn't even realize what he was doing. Um, and, you know, like I said, I got a lot more of it to read, but I mean, it seems like a fantastic book and I know there's a ton to learn here. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks, Barry, so much. I, um, I Actually, when I first started reading the book, it was back in uh, – December, and I was with someone, a friend of mine actually, we differ in our politics, and we won't get, on, get into that on this call today, but I was trying to employ the lessons I had learned in the book about listening, and uh, for about 45 minutes, this person was sharing with me their political stance on a bunch of different issues, and I was just listening, and you know, in the book it talks about mirroring and labeling, and 45 minutes later, we kind of had to move on and go to an event, and the person turned to me and said, that was a great talk. <laughs> and I, um, I was just thinking to myself, oh, I wish I could call Chris Voss and tell him because uh, that person felt like – and I was truly listening, and I was truly putting myself in their, in their position and, and trying to learn more about their position. But it was amazing how um, – it just kind of took all of the defensiveness down and was then opened it up to future talks where this where this person was more open to listening to me because they felt that they were listened to. I've tried this also with my boys, by the way. <laughs> I don't know if it works as well with teenagers, but I'm trying. So um, anybody else have any thought about did, what did you guys, uh, if those of you that read the book, 
How about the, um, you know, we've been taught in sales our whole career that we're supposed to ask questions that the prospects or, you know, our counterparts say yes to. So I thought it was very interesting in the book where he says that's exactly not what we should do. We should start with a question where the where the where our counterpart can say no, because by saying no, that gives them, again, the illusion of power. Did any anyone have any thought about that? that section of the book. You go. Let, we'll let the female go. <laughs> it's Ashley from Philip Edison. Um, yeah, I was going to say, whenever you're asking for the handout part, that that was really interesting to me where he related it to um, kind of like when a telemarketer calls you during dinner, like the first thing you want to do is just say no to absolutely everything that they're, that they're asking you. You know, he said, like, do you enjoy drinking water? And, like, you know, obviously you're, you're just – you want to say no to feel like you're just empowered. Um, so even after reading that, I've been trying to structure my pitch emails to prospects um, in, a, in a way where they can say no, but it doesn't um, stop the negotiation there. Um, right, right. So and has I, it been I helping? Um, I would like to say yes, but it, <laughs> it's probably it's, only been a few days. But I'm definitely cognizant of that. Um, but I, I thought that was really interesting, and you know, I'd never really thought of it that way before. But um, I, he's absolutely right. Chris is absolutely right in saying that. Absolutely. Thank you, Ashley, for for that input. And who else had a comment? There was a gentleman that was was going to speak up. It was actually yeah, was Laura good. over at Wolbright. Oh, hi, Laura. Hi. Um, I thought that, that that portion of the book and that tactic was, it really resonated with me um, with regards to canvassing, actually. So I always felt that once somebody says no while I'm canvassing, it seems like the conversation goes on forever, um, that they're just completely willing to talk after they tell me no. Uh, and I've always, I've always thought that was like the surest way to yes, but I didn't really know how to articulate why. So he put a lot of context behind that. Um, so I found that very, very interesting. Absolutely, I, 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 I 100% agree. And I, um, I think that where he said, uh, there's a line in the book where he said, if you want to get to, the, let's see, uh, oh, hearing your right quote-unquote, is a disaster. So that's on page 105. So he says the last thing you want to hear from your counterpart is your right, right? Because it's not about you. It's about them. What you want to hear from them is that's right. So, uh, you know, asking the calibrated questions to get them to, for them to understand that you've heard them, you've listened to them, and that they respond with that's right, you know you're on the right track. Right? Right, right. Another thing, too, the last thing I'll throw out is the fake-out yeses. Right? He talked about kind of the the, 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 the yeses that aren't really yeses at all. The counterfeits. Um, yeah. He yeah, the counterfeits. The counterfeit right. confirmation or commitment. Right? The count, Someone just, you know, I was on the phone about an hour ago, and someone said, well, what did they answer? And I said, well, they said yes, but I said it's counterfeit. And the person wasn't has not read the book. I said, so I'm reading this book, and I've learned that there's counterfeit yeses. And I thought, right? I mean, that's so true. How many times have people go, yes, 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 and then, you know, then they're MIA, right? They never respond again because they were counterfeit yeses. They just wanted to get rid of you. Exactly. 
And also, other than the count for yeses, how he says yes and no without actually saying yes and no is interesting. Yeah. So, Mike, tell us more about that. You know, have you tried to employ this since you've read that? I've, I've not. I just started, I read the book this week to get through it. But uh, I, as I listen to it, I, you know, I I find myself even even when you know negotiating with my own kids, it's like you hear a lot of those things where the, the mirroring. You know, you tell the kids something and they automatically say the same thing back to you. And, you know, I end up getting, I real, as I thought about that, I realized I actually give in half the time when they mirror it back to me. I'm like, wait a minute, I, you know, I'm, I'm getting conned on this one. But uh, no, I just I thought it was interesting how he, he he was, you know, in his negotiations with, you know, with hostages and everything else where he, you know, you don't want to tell a hostage holder no. So, you know, you tell him no without actually saying no. And just the, the way the different examples he gave of that was, was actually pretty interesting. So, Right. He, he's a big – he's big on the – and starting questions with how. So um, I, I'm, I just am negotiating a, a, a buyout in a situation, and, and someone threw out a proposal, and my response was, now, how do you think I'm able to do that? Like, you know, how and, – and asking how again and again, and what and another thing he says is why is like the death knell. You know, why brings up defensiveness? So we should never be bringing up questions starting with the word why, but instead focus on how and 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 um, and like you know it it may it seems like or you know he he says that to mirror or to label you can you can say things like it seems like uh, you feel this way or you know those types of those types of statements right. So um, the other thing, I, and I don't know, Kara, if Kara's on the phone, Kara, are you on the phone? Yes. So tell, tell the, the listeners about how you used yesterday the, um, the email where the guy wasn't responding to us, which you learned in the book. Okay, so um, I got in contact. Someone had called into the office about um, potentially leasing space, and he seemed very interested, and I was interested in, you know, his business, and then... I had tried following up with him via phone call, um, text message, email over maybe a few weeks, and he had never gotten back to me, and I was surprised because he seemed very interested. And then um, from the book, I remember Chris Voss had said, you know, a, a good way to get someone to answer you if they've gone ghost pretty much is, <clears throat> excuse me, is say, um, have you – have you given up on this deal or are you no longer interested? So I just wrote one sentence email to the guy saying, are you no longer interested in this area? Or, you know, or I said something like, are you no longer interested in opening up a new location in this area? And I immediately got an answer, a long, like two paragraph um, email response of him, you know, saying he was still interested and what he needed. So I thought that that was interesting how quickly I got a response just from that one sentence. And, and, and I don't know about you guys on the phone, but I know a lot of times that happens where we've shown space and it seems like and maybe they're giving us the counterfeit yes, we don't know. But this is a great way to say, you know, is this deal dead or, you know, do you not want to expand any longer? And then, you know, it's brilliant. So has anyone tried that since you've been reading the book? Yeah, Beth, this is Darren. I have. Uh, it's worked. I, it's, I mean, I, I say it. I, I use the word worked. It's gotten me responses. I think there's a lot of value that people often uh, dismiss in getting a quick no. I mean, often because everybody on the phone has expectations to manage, right? Like if you work for a developer like I do, you have to manage expectations to ownership saying who are 
is or isn't interested, or if you're a third-party broker managing the expectations of, of your client. So it's one of those things where even if you get a quick no, it's, it's better to understand so you can cut bait and move on. Because if, if, if you ask that pointed question like Kara did and like I have several times and gotten, yes, it's dead, at least you can move on from it because we're in the time business. We're selling time as our commodity and, and using it uh, accordingly is how we make a living. So um, I do think in our business it's uh, it's not quite – directly applicable like like it was used in the book and that you may be able to talk people uh into doing something that they normally wouldn't do because i think with a lot of the retailers that we're all trying to be in front of you know they're just done looking at a market they're done looking at a market whether you want them to be or not so uh, i i will second kara's comment uh by saying that the tactic certainly works in getting a response and even if it's a quick no at least you know where you stand on it Right, and I, and I think it goes back to putting the person in control, which is a lot of this book. The book is uh, trying to let your counterpart know that they're in control, even though you're guiding them to that. You're asking the question. Um, I don't know. Carol, are you on the phone? Yes. So, Carol, I loved what Carol – tell them what you told me, what you thought about the book and, and, and male readers of the book, because I thought that I would love to know what the males on the call think about your, your comment to me. Well, I'm not exactly sure I remember exactly what I said to you, but a couple things about the book for me, since I'm in the latter stages of my career, is it's one of those my how things have changed because we all used to do pretty much everything this book says don't do anymore. You know, we were aggressive, <laughs> we gave up line, we split the difference, we did all that stuff because that's what we and we tried to get to yes, that's what we were taught. Um, but I, I thought this book in particular for the guys would be of interest because of the connection with the FBI and 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 all the the negotiating tactics and. And actually, Philip is here as well. And when I mentioned it to him, he says, "Oh yeah, that does sound kind of cool." So he hasn't heard, he hasn't read it yet, Beth. But we'll get there. Hey, Beth. <laughs> hey, Phil. Well, you know, I'm a big. I, I would love to know when we hang up if you guys. Uh, when we, I think we're going to send out a survey. But I want to know who's read the book, and then. But I really want to know of the people who have read it, who read it or who listened to it on audio, because I think I think you know I did both. I read it so I could mark into the margins, and I listened to about forty-five percent of it on audio. But I, from most of you, the ones that have sent me, you know, texts and questions and, and things, I think most of us are doing audio these days. So, and I think that's phenomenal. But thank you, Kel. That's what I wanted you to say. So I'm curious, do the guys like the book more because of the FBI? You know, like Slant, did anybody feel, you know, that thought the book was cooler because of that? I'm curious. This is Mike. I personally love, you know, FBI negotiation books. I've read a few of them. And uh, I didn't realize this was one until I got, you know, until I started reading into it and realized that it was. But uh, you know, I think a lot of those, you know, courses and everything are all based off of, you know, negotiations and you know, I think the FBI and has done well, you know, has done it well and has written many many of the negotiators that you'll come across have written their own books and just you know, there's dozens of them out there. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I've I've used, I, I it's surprising to me how many things I've used in the last 30 days from this book. I've used the specific number 
uh, tip that he gives. You know, we're all, you know, I always tease you guys, and I've, I've spoken about this at ICSEs where I say, please don't say, you know, I'm quoting, right, <laughs> or I'm asking, because basically you're telling the person you're talking to that you're negotiable, right? So I always say we should just say the rent is, you know, 30 bucks a square foot, right, instead of I'm quoting 30 or I'm asking 30. But I do think I'm, I was just finishing up a renewal, and um, Josie was getting ready to send it out, and I said, wait, wait, wait. And I pulled it back, and instead of 40 I put $40.50, and it got signed. So I think had I put 40 I think the person would have come back and said, what about 38 So has anyone else done this specific number thing yet? No? I, try it, and then let me know how it works. Uh, the other thing that I also posted recently after I read it on, I think, Facebook or LinkedIn was, how about the 738.55? So 7% is tone of voice, 38% is body language, and 55% is facial recognition. And I wrote that I need to work on that because people are always saying to me, because I frown and I, you know, I'm, 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 not, I'm not a member of the Botox club yet or ever, but they, people say to me that I, they always say, are you mad or are you tired or, and, and they said that 55% of the response of people are, is your facial expressions. So what did did you guys what did you guys think about that? Because he also talks about having a DJ voice, right? An FM DJ voice when you're on the phone talking. And he also talked about the importance of being in person, which I'm a huge believer. I had a client who was doing a regal renewal and she was having a big problem trying to get the guys in Knoxville to respond promptly and I said, "Let's just go there." And, you know, we did. We flew to Knoxville, and we were able to make the deal face-to-face. So thoughts about all of that, tone of voice, facial, body language, and face-to-face meetings. I agree wholeheartedly. This is Carol. And I think with the ease of uh, the Internet and stuff, uh, we tend to hide behind it. And I'm always talking to my folks. I mean, most of us are fairly close to our tenants. There's no reason why we can't set up an appointment and go see them. One, it shows them respect. But secondly, you have the opportunity with your with your body language to, to uh, have a positive effect on your negotiation. And you you learn from them, too, what they're, how they're looking. Oh, yeah. Like there, there was a story in the book about they were talking about the guy. I can't remember. There were so many different kidnapping stories, but – the, the guy that was, um, I guess he was in, at the, in the capital area, and he had all of these explosives. And um, this is about what Carol just mentioned about learning about other people and, and, again, going back to what we talked about in the beginning with listening. And the, there was a woman who was listening to the tapes. And this is why it's so important when you're on the phone with, with people or, or you're in meetings to take notes because you never know what the tenant or the or your prospect might say that you find out later is very important, right, in the whole scheme of things. And for those of you that didn't read the book, the, the um, guy with the explosives said something, and one of the FBI, one of the guys, on, the girls on the team said to the lead FBI negotiator, hey, he's, he's like a diehard Christian. And something he said, she caught. 
and they um, and she said, and I guess she was a Christian, and she said, tell them tomorrow is you know the third day of something something, and um, they did it, and it ended the it ended the. Um, I guess he was uh, a hostage or, or he was doing something to where he, he threatened to blow up the Capitol. And, then, and she heard it. So listening with active listening, taking notes, because you never know in your third or fourth negotiation, you know, and, and our, I always say to, to my people here, timing is everything, asking the prospects about their timing. And especially asking them as much as you can before you quote, before you listen to me quote, before you tell them what the rate is, because the more information you can get from the prospects before you tell them the rate, they're, they're trying to impress you and they'll tell you more, more information and making notes so that later on when they start giving, throwing up objections left and right, you can go back to your notes and, and you don't want to throw it in your, their face, but you'll know, hmm, you know, they said that, you know, the, the reason they're coming here is because of the, the, the huge amount of traffic, but now when they're trying to negotiate with me to get a better deal, they're complaining about the parking, you know, what, which is true. You know, they're both true, but what's more important? Probably what they told you before, you know, when they were trying to impress you, I think. So, uh, Pat, um, this, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, this is Jeff Sokoloff. How are you? Hi, Jeff. How are you? Pretty good. Um, you just the, you said uh, something in passing just now, which I thought was really uh, a great insight, and I never thought of before. Um, and he said deadlines are artificial and never uh, all that critical. And I thought that was um, – Really, and so I, I never thought about that. And we we do impose these deadlines. And I was in the middle of a negotiation while I was reading the book and listening to it. While I was reading and listening, where I had no deadline, uh, but the other party was involved in a bankruptcy, and they actually had a hard deadline. So I just, you know, we laid out our position, and we let those deadlines come and go. And sure enough, every time we got up to their deadline that they imposed. Uh, they caved into our, our uh, position, and we were able to get everything we wanted in the negotiation. So that is brilliant, and, 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 and that goes to something that was later in the book where they talk about how, t and, and, and I know all the bosses on the phone are not going to like this, but, you know, I'm going to defer to the book. So they talk about how time, how we can use time to our advantage. And by, by just being patient. Now, it's hard when we, hopefully all of us on the phone have, you know, a very high sense of urgency and we want to be deal closers. But I do believe the, t the times where I've had the ability to be a little patient and let the deal ruminate, just like Jeff, what you said, or understanding what their deadlines are and waiting them out benefits us. And I would say a lot of times, unless we're developer, ground-up developers, I remember leasing a property that was a ground-up development and they there were certain benchmarks of occupancy we had to have signed deals. But in 31 years of my career, there have been very few times where there were hard deadlines. And and the worst thing that, you, that we can do as salespeople is say there's a hard deadline and then you know, just like with kids, give them, you know, you know, you can't do this or this is going to happen and then don't, you know, follow through with it. Because then you lose all of your credibility. So none of us should be doing that, right? Right. Thank you, Jeff, for that comment. 
So I loved something else I took from the book is uh, I hope I get as much out of all the rest of the books <laughs> I did this one that I've been using. But um, I loved the, the comment that he said when you call people and say, instead, usually, probably like all of us, is this a good time to talk, right? So instead of that, he says, is, this a, is, is now a bad time to talk? And that gets that first no, right? They're in control. So I've been using that a lot, and it's worked. You know, is now a bad time to talk? No, no, it's, it's you know, actually a good time to talk. So I don't know if anyone has used that. Um, how about uh, the whole, the whole, has anyone had any thoughts about, you talked about reciprocity, you know, helping someone out and then they owing you something. Anyone have any comments on that part of the book? The definition of Beth Azor. <laughs> Don't give away my secret. So yeah, I, I I I believe in that a lot. I think that and you know that's that's my for many of you on the call, a lot of us are big Gary Vaynerchuk fans and you know that's what he's all about you know jab 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 right hook uh, but i don't i don't think we should be giving and expecting i just think we should give and help people and serve and then you know then they're there if we do need them one time um, what i loved in the book throughout and i'm going to this is when i'm going to speak to the guys on the call cuz i find i find that i have this with my male students more than my female students you know they talk through the whole book about ego and he says like the smartest people are the t most terrible negotiators because they don't want to tell and, and disclose that they don't understand, which means they're asking for more information. I don't know if Andrew Fish is on the call, but, you know, my big thing is I, I like to always say I'm confused. You know, I'm confused. Phil, you know, please tell me more. Um, I find that the guys have a hard time with this, and I'm hoping – that Carol's right, and all of the guys who have read the book and have now heard how tough FBI guys, you know, can put themselves in a position where they're not right, that they can say, I don't understand, tell me more, because, and, and putting the person, having them speak more. So who, who has a lot of self-confidence and is male and can speak about this? Aaron. <laughs> I, I started unmute. I started unmuting the uh, button as soon as you asked the question. I figured you were going to call me out. Uh, well, I know you have a lot of self confidence. So, do you employ this? Has it been hard for you to employ this? Am no. I right that it was harder in the beginning, or no? It was very easy for no, you to say. I it's, understand. It's, I'm, I'm pretty quick to admit when I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I, I guess the. Thanks for accusing me of being self-confident. Um, I guess what I would say is, is I'm I I want to meet my own expectations so badly that I'm willing to do and say whatever it takes to meet those expectations. So, for me to to put my ego aside and say, hey, what uh, you know what, what's going on here? I don't understand. Is is, is not an issue for me whatsoever. I, I got over myself. Uh, a few years back when I went through a stretch where I wasn't doing as many deals as I wanted. So for me to ask for help when, especially when talking to a tenant, I do that just about every conversation I have. I, I can't think of one where I haven't recently. Well, so I love that. 
because I think that's how you're going to get them to talk, right? And it's um, it's not it's not you know when when we're showing space or we're out canvassing, um, you know, telling them you know or, or just walking through a shopping center and saying you should be here because da 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 da, and you know making all of the statements. What you know what I try to get people to do is list. List the benefits of your shopping center. You know, take say, I've got, these are the five best things about my shopping center, and write them down in statements. Now, next to them, on, this, on the right, you know, that would be like five in a row in a, on, the, in a, on the left column. On the right, right next to the statement, write a question. And if you want the prospect to say, you know, well, I love the, the, I love the traffic that you have in your shopping center, then you have to craft the question. You know, how do you, how do you get most of your business? Is it walk-in? Is it referrals? Is it online? You know, how, what is it? Well, no, I, I, I rely 80% on walk-ins. So, you know, so what kind of shopping centers do you like to be in if you rely on walk-ins? I need centers with a lot of traffic. So because if, you, if they say it, it's true. If you say it, you're the used car salesperson. So listing yeah. down, listing the five uh, uh, benefits of your property, crafting the question, and then when you're showing space or walking around, asking them those questions so that they say the words out loud instead of you. Because pe- people don't like to be told, you should be here because this is what I think. They don't want, they don't, they're the expert. We have to ask them. You know, if when you envision your first location, what do, what do you envision would contribute to its success? If you have another location or if you have multiple other locations, which ones are the best and why? Which factors makes the one that gives you the most revenue the highest? Is it the, is it the drive-by traffic? Is it the visibility? Is it the space? Is it your co-tenants? You know, what is it? So what did you guys think about um, – I love this story. I haven't used this yet. I haven't figured out how to use it, but I want to, and I would love to know if anyone else has used it. The story that he talked about, the copy machine, that if you ask someone for something and you give them the reason, I think, I don't remember the exact percentage, but I think it's, you know, 70% greater that they will let you do it if you give them a question. So it was the, the, the story was this. Hi, can I butt in front of you cause, because I have to make copies? <laughs> and the person says, if you just say, hey, can I jump in front of you, the, the answer, it's like I think it was 13% of the people said okay. But if the person said, hi, can I butt in front of you, I have 20 copies to make, it, the, the difference of the approval goes up like ungodly amounts of percentage. Has anyone tried this? No. Okay, well, I haven't tried it either, but I, I thought it was amazing that the difference of the percentage, giving a reason. I'm going to try it with my kids. I think, I think it might work. So another thing, you know, I'm a big goals person, and another thing he writes about in the book is he says, have your number in mind. So if you're going into a negotiation, he says, write down what you want, write it on a piece of paper, and take it into the negotiation with you. He said there's scientific okay. results that when you write down the goal, it will happen. So I, I'm going to I on this big buyout negotiation I'm working on. I'm going to try that and see if it works. 
What did what did you guys think about the the counterparts being three different personalities? And and who wants to tell me what they are? There's three different ones. One's an accommodator, one is assertive, and one is analyst. And what I found fascinating is he talks about how, for example, silence with you know with maybe the analyst is don't talk because I'm thinking, I'm sifting on the information you gave me, versus silence for an accommodator means talk more, fill me in more, I need more information. Did, you, did any of you guys get to that part in the book, and, and what kind of style of negotiator do you think you are? I'm an accommodator. You are? Yeah. So you want yeah, to, I, to I, talk more. Yeah, I just feel that as long as there's, and I've even relayed this when I've, I've tried labeling myself and, I mean, sorry, labeling my counterparts and knowing who's an accommodator too. And the one thing I always kind of end the call with or end the meeting with is let's just keep open lines of communication. And the reason why I do that is because uh, accommodators want to be uh, self-assured that the conversations are going to continue in the right direction. And the only way that a conversation can continue in the right direction if there's a conversation to be had in the first place. So even, like, I'm, I'm working on a box deal right now with a national tenant uh, who I literally was talking to uh, leading up to this call, and I, I'm in second place on their site selection. Like, they, they want to be across the street instead of our center. But um, I, I also applying the principles of this book, I told the guy I'd be – in Ohio, uh, Thursday of next week, which of course I wasn't, now I am, but um, to get to A, get in front of him in person so I can read his body language, but, but B, also to keep the dialogue going because I think he likes hearing himself talk and uh, he's an accommodator and, and likes to, you know, kind of keep the, the dialogue going and I'm, I'm hopeful that it'll lead to, to a deal at some way, shape, or form. I'm not sure how I'm going to get there, but as long as we keep talking, there's, at least we have a, a shot on goal. That's fabulous. And, and you know, if, if there's a way that you can get him, you know, they talked about in the book about how reporters don't turn off the microphone during an interview. They put it on early before and they leave it on after because the meat, the meat of what they get from the interviewee is in the unguarded moments. So he writes, observe the unguarded moments. So if there's a way... Aaron, while you're in Ohio meeting with these folks, if you can, you know, I, I'm a big believer to do, try to do things outside of just the business part of it, right? If you can, whether grab a cup of coffee or, you know, take them to Top Golf. Not that you would take him to Top Golf, but you know, doing things with people so you can observe them in unguarded moments. Not to mention strengthen the relationships. You know, I find that when you go see retailers in their main offices versus, you know, the 45 of us competing for their time at an ICSC, you're always going to gain so much more than the cost of the plane ticket and the time that it took you to go there. Uh, anyone else agree with me on that? I do. Um, probably one of the biggest deals we ever did was the Latin American headquarters for American Express. And it was actually our construction guy when we were doing the proposal. He said, I think we should design a building and take it to them in New York. And we looked and said, are you nuts? And then we decided to do it, and we got the deal. <laughs> there you go. 
Absolutely. That's you know, and that goes to so how many times have you guys on the phone? You've got a big now. There, there are so many big boxes that are available. There are so many big boxes coming available. I have a client. We have a ninety thousand square foot box, and that's we're going to literally put together have architects put together facades with signage to show tenants. I'm sure other people on the phone call have done that. Aaron, if you haven't done that on this big box which I'm guessing you probably have, that would be something I would do. Yeah, I'm whipping, whipping up something right now for the in-person meeting. That we, we do that. I'm doing it the week after for, with three different specialty grocers. You've you got to do that because even though that we're in the real estate business, people have to touch and feel and people like to touch, feel, and see what, what they're looking at. And it, it, having that rendering or whatever you want to bring to the meeting is, uh, even though it's, it's not the, re- the sole reason why they're going to leave space. It, it helps them visualize and gets them maybe, – maybe it increases your percentages, if you will. Um, for those of you that are on the call that are male – just kidding. I'm going to get all kinds of, you know, crazy feedback after this. But on pages 149 to 154, it gives examples on how to ask for help. Um, so, to, so and, and I thought it was great – there was a, a line in the book that said, the art of negotiating or the art of negotiations is letting someone else have your way. <laughs> I love that. I want, I want always everyone to have my way. Um, so then the other thing I thought was great is a non-monetary addition. So he talked about that he, someone wanted him to go do a speaking gig, and they didn't want to pay his fee. So instead, it was like a law, it was a bunch of lawyers, and they had a magazine. And he said, well, if you put me on the cover of the magazine, then I'll do it for a lesser fee. So I think in all of our, you know, in all of our negotiations, there's many, many different factors of things we can throw into the deal that's non-monetary. You know, I've bought on University Drive where I have three shopping centers. We have rented for, you know, the last, I think, three or four years, the three bus benches on University Drive. And what I do is I, I try to sell them, you know, or, or sublease them to my tenants, but I always do it in short terms so that I can use it as an incentive for a tenant that's coming in, you know, for additional signage, for, you know, just something else, another amenity I can provide that would be, a not, you know, no, I don't want to drop your rent, your rent two bucks or I don't want to give you 90 days of half rent or whatever they're asking, but I'll throw this in. So what other things, you know, pylon signage or there's, you know, a parking, you know, a fit, I, I hate giving up parking spaces, but if you had a ton of parking spaces, you could afford to give a reserved parking space. So there's other non-monetary things that I think we can throw into our deals, you know, and are we remembering to do it? Um, we're wrapping up. Let's see, eight minutes left. A couple other things that I wrote down that I want to make sure that we, we talk about. Um, he talks about on page 73 to list the worst things they can say. And I, I talk about this a lot. Like if, you have a, if you're a third-party service provider and your you know, life insurance company absolutely requires a personal guarantee, no ifs, ands, or buts, you know, bring it up in the, in the first meeting. Don't wait till the third meeting where you've already, you know, you've showed it to them, you've showed it to their partners, their architect's been out measuring, oh, by the way, or it's in their proposal. You know, bring up the worst things 
now to for for you to put out there so you can start talking about it to find out if it's a deal breaker earlier on in the um in the in the negotiations. Uh, anything else as I'm looking at my notes of things that I wanted to bring up that I saw in the book that I thought was great? Um, my, na- my name is Bruce. I'm a real estate broker, and I uh, showed a house to somebody. We agreed there was some termites. So there was a seller's disclosure statement that went uh, went to the uh, buyer, and uh, she uh, wrote back said, you uh, you didn't say anything about termites, and uh, we agreed there was termites. I wrote back. I said, "You're right," and I, in a truncated fashion, I'm t- going to tell you, "You're right." That's how I started out, and then I said a little bit later, I said, "I was very impressed with your husband's ideas on how to remodel the house to take advantage of the lake view," and I got an offer the next day. I forgot to tell you in that first uh, email. She said, my husband and I are really having a hard time trying to figure out whether we want to buy this or not. I got an offer the next day. So. Very good, Bruce. Good job. Oh, and, and I forgot talk? to say that was – I forgot to say that um, I, I, I had only read about four or five pages of the book so far. Okay. Well, I, so I picked reading. out your right and I picked out your right and how to compliment him, and that worked. Very good. Very good. Uh, another thing that he talks about is um, thinking, think about their perceived losses. He says that a loss stings more, doubly, more or double than a gain. So how I took that and how I'm going to adapt to that is if, you know, the American dream, if their goal in life is to open more because they want the American dream and they don't do the deal with me that that's a loss of their American dream, I, I, I'm still playing around with that idea, but um, – A loss, if you can talk to them about their losses versus their gains, that the loss stings double the gain, he said. So I thought that was interesting. And and, um, one of the last things I'll bring up is he says, always at all times avoid emotional escalation. You know, it never wins. Anger never wins. And it's always focus on the issue and never the person. And I'm certainly I've not I've made a mistake a couple times in 30 year career that I've you know lost my cool, but um, I you know that's so right it's it's the issue and it's not the person. So um, we have five minutes left. I'm going to talk about the next book club date and call in book. But if anyone else has anything else to add before we end, did you guys like it? Yep. Okay, so let me know if you uh, wanted, if you, if you like how we did it, and and if you guys are, you know, if you have any suggestions. I've listed, I think, the first five or six books. I'm taking suggestions on the the last part of the year. You know, whatever you guys want to throw out and suggest, if you think the group would like. Um, next book club is February 23rd, and I'm so excited. You know, my mission in life is that all of the leasing agents on the phone call start investing in real estate. You know, start saving out of your commissions, put it, put, put five or ten percent of every commission in a side investment, you know, savings account, so that when you get the call that's, you know, me or someone, you know, that you know is buying a piece of real estate, you can invest. And, you know, hopefully for $5,000 you can get, you know, as as my friends say, a blade of grass. Uh, And the next call 
The next book club call is Investing in Retail Properties by Gary Rappaport. Gary, if anyone has ever sat at his roundtable at an ICSE, he's phenomenal. The book is phenomenal. And I'm so excited he's going to be on the call answering your questions. So I just love, love, love that. I'm trying to get other authors to come. If, if I can get Gary Vaynerchuk to come on his new book, Crushing It, in March, you know, that, it'll be, that'll be like my goal in life to try to get him even to come on for 10 minutes. But um, so start reading Investing in Retail Properties, Gary Rappaport, February 23rd, and um, he will answer all of our questions about how we can buy shopping centers, form partnerships, you know, all of his best advice. He's a great guy, and um, he was the chairman of the ICSE, I think, five or six years ago. So I thank all of you guys for being on the call today and spending your lunch hour with me. And, um, again, if you have any questions, if you have any suggestions, feel free to send them. And have a great rest of January, and go kick some butt. Okay? Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Beth. Bye, guys. Thank you, Beth. Thank you. Bye-bye.